part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Spoiler alert, this podcast is covering the most recently released episodes of The Crown on Netflix. If you haven't seen them yet, this podcast may spoil you. You've been warned. Welcome to Podcast Lilibet. I am Matt. I am only happy if I'm wrapped in a woolen nappy because we only have one fifteenth of the crown left to discuss on this podcast. We have four episodes left. That is all we have. And today, tackling two of them, season six, episode seven, Alma Mater, written by Jonathan Wilson and Peter Morgan, directed by May El Tuca, Tuque, Tuki. Not sure. I apologize, May, for mispronouncing your name. The synopsis on that. Now at university, William sets his eyes on Kate Middleton, with meddling parents and other prospects in the mix, how will their connection bloom? Well, if you watch the episode, you know not very well. In season six, episode eight is the other episode we're discussing called Ritz. And that is Muriel Shibani Claire and Peter Morgan. She was one of the staff writers all season and she got an episode directed by Alex Gabasi, a name that many people know from other television shows as well. Your synopsis there, after a series of strokes, a declining Margaret recalls a wild night with her sister at the Ritz in 1945 and later celebrates her 70th birthday there. As I mentioned, I am one of your hosts, but my other host is a world-renowned expert in the history of fart. It's Bubba. You know what? After I hear an introduction like that, I just want to hang up, but I'm not going to because I'm so grateful for the listeners who've been listening to our podcast all this time so we can talk about these two episodes of The Crown Season 6. Can't wait. Excellent. Well, let's get right into rating these episodes, and we'll start with rating Season 6, Episode 7, Alma Mater. Bubba, normally I always ask you first, normally, and for yeah. some reason or another, I think that I am going to go first this time. Wait, around. what? That's not fair. I oh, know. Well. It's not fair, is it? I'm going 8.9 out of 10, what I like to call double L's. Wait, double L's? Library losers. No, 8.9. Will certainly struck out, man. He struck no. out big time, not with just one, but two girls. He's the only guy who's ever pulled a double play on himself in the course of a matter of minutes man i mean matt 8.9 out of 10 that is an odd score and you do have a bit of an odd rating system where it's really 7 to 10 we're rating i'm going to assume that you liked it okay even though you went as high as 8.9 what are your real thoughts on this episode well there's just one thing i i like the episode i i imagine there's a lot of fiction in it and i don't really care uh, mm-hmm. I found the story pretty compelling in terms of, you know, will they, will, won't they? Um, and the kind of back and forth of that, that intrigued me a little bit. The thing that I really am starting to dislike is over the last few episodes, since the part two started, yeah, I'm feeling like I'm getting a lot of reasons to dislike Harry, but I'm not really getting a lot of reasons why. It's just the things that he's doing that's mm. kind of turning me off. And okay. I understand, you know, that he went through a very hard part of his life, losing his mother and everything like that. But I don't feel like the show is addressing it. And so anytime Harry is like passing out condoms 
to his brother in front of <laughs> yes. all of his family or, you know, saying the history of fart to his great grandmother or, you know, telling, you know, William that uni's only about sex, that he's got to do something disreputable so that he does so that he doesn't seem quite so bad. Uh, it just makes me feel like that. I mean, I have no idea how fictional or whatever this is, but I'm, I'm kind of getting the feeling after four episodes of the show that the show doesn't really like Harry very much, which seems strange to me, <laughs> considering that, the, you know, Harry is going to be a big staple on the Netflix network, you know, pretty soon or has been with documentaries and such. What, well, Matt, this is an episode where Harry really is periphery to the story. So that's it your big that takeaway. Me, Bubba. Oh, it wow. really does, okay. man. Okay, sure. Sure. Well, that's so interesting that all your notes are about Harry. For when I give my rating, it's going to be about William, Prince William. So, Matt, my rating, you went 8.9. And a lot of people would think, boy, that's really high. I'm only going to give this episode six double O's out of 10. Wow. That's, wait, double O's? Ordinary offspring. We hear so much, oh man, the royals, they're just like us. They're regular people who have the same problems and concerns as anyone has. And dear Lord, I watched this episode and I'm like, yeah, they are just like us. William, who may not have a personality discernible on the show, is just completely normal. His experiences aren't really traumatic or dramatic. They're things everybody goes through. Every person, I think man, woman, child you know has somebody they like and sometimes they're not you know able to jump on it and go out with someone they like everybody you know has trouble that first semester away from home at college at university excuse me and so there's just no there there it's kind of fascinating but the little subtle hints of an interesting william that we saw in earlier episodes of season six he's kind of a blank slate and maybe that's a reading on a somebody who's guarded his personality so well as William has, considering he's in, been in such a spotlight. But I don't feel like I have a great knowledge of him and what he wants and how he feels. And so to spend a whole episode on his troubles when, yes, you know, there are troubles, but they're so dang ordinary. It doesn't feel right for this show. And so six out of ten. It was like a blank canvas, which is kind of the way I feel about the William character. Well, I'll just uh, transition to episode eight by saying justice for Lola. I mean, <laughs> what yes. more personality do you want than a rageaholic for crying out loud? Uh, so let's talk about the Ritz. And uh, what would you rate that episode? Okay, well, I'm going the other way on that episode. I'm going to give it nine double C's out of ten. Ah, d wait, double C's? Yes, and you can feel free to edit this out. I'm giving it nine Chesterfield cancers out of ten. Wow. Wow. So William, who I feel like is a blank slate, not much of a character, just kind of a dude, <laughs> dare I say it, especially this late in the series, the exact opposite of, is true of Princess Margaret. We have spent six seasons getting to know this character, getting to know their quirks, their wants, their eccentricities. And to come to the end of this person's life, it is, it is painful as it is emotional. It's in a lot of ways why we invest and watch six seasons of a show is to be taken on these journeys. And it's a tragic journey. And it may be in some ways 
it's a bit of an ordinary journey about how somebody does fade away at their end of their lives and and kicking in addiction. You know, if you spent all your life enjoying alcohol and sweet treats and smoking, is life worth living if you have to give those up? And so it's tragic nowadays. I hear anybody passes away at the age of 71, and it's sad that shouldn't happen. I guess a final thing I'll say is that for so many weeks, it, uh, we've been talking about these episodes, and it's like, oh boy, it's so close to, you know, our present timeline. And this episode reminds me that wait, no, this episode is still taking place about events over twenty years old, and so you're like, oh wow. And so William doesn't have much of a personality. Margaret does. Margaret had a life, uh, like literally, uh, was bursting with life on the show, and it's a heartbreaking, sad, but maybe. A perfect ending to this character's story. So nine out of 10, I really enjoyed it. What about you? What did you feel about this episode eight of season six? Well, I'm just going to circle around to your doubles and I'm going to say, uh, folks, send your hate mail. Yes. Yeah, so you add the word double, yes, the letters please. PHQ, or just unfollow Fit and Trim yes. on the site formerly known as Twitter. That's uh, yes. F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a monster. But I'm went slightly higher than you on this one oh, uh, okay. surprise surprise because i always go higher than you seems like most of the time uh 9.3 out of 10 what i like to call double j's double j's yeah uh that stands for jitterbug jams oh band man who Aww. wouldn't want to dance who wouldn't want to go downstairs and dance and do all of that <laughs> i loved that flashback i thought that was a great way to uh encapsulate the life that margaret had the life that margaret always wanted um the comparisons of of number twos we see harry in the prior episode um being kind of a disturber or what have you as as a number two and really margaret as a number two seems pretty tame by comparison Uh, and so i loved the way that she stood up for herself and it's not that harry's not standing up for himself i guess in his own way but yep. it feels like it, it just feels like a, these two episodes work together really good for me thematically as a look at the number twos and i love um and bubba i know you're not there yet but i do love how this particular event uh really shapes the rest of the series, the oh, wow. final two episodes, or at least it does in my mind. I okay. won't say anything more about that. You know, sometimes my mind goes way left field, so it could be completely uh, different for you. But to me, mm-hmm. it really influences it. I also just that whole flashback. I mean, I'm not an expert on what the 1940s look like or what have you, uh, but I, I thought that all of those shots looked great. I think that these two young actresses, uh, Bo Gadsden, who's actually played young margaret before back in season one back when they when she was of an age to be playing a girl that age for those shots uh they just brought her back and she did absolutely fabulous mainly and i think it's because of however vanessa kirby was coached there was a scene where at the beginning where she just starts to break away from the window or break away from the the guy that she's with and Uh looks out the window and i just said that that's Vanessa Kirby's walk. I mean, it was the ex- it was the exact walk. I was I was thrilled by it, and I thought that uh, this Viola Predijon also looked very much 
like a young Claire Foy. And we had a little bit of a conversation, which will lead to a parliamentary debate later. But we had a conversation about how she probably looks more like the young Queen Elizabeth than even Claire Foy did. Um, so I loved all of that. On the other hand, uh, you address the big point, which is this is the end of Margaret's life. And as someone who, you know, sees stroke victims on a regular basis, some of this is kind of tough for me to watch. See, I'll never let you down, folks. I'll always find a way to wear my heart on my sleeve somehow. And uh, yeah, it was it was tough to, to see some of these symptoms manifest or, or uh, the after effects done remarkably well by this actress. Uh, it was really well done. Um, and it was a, a beautiful but sad ending for, for Margaret's life. Um, Correct. And I really liked the way it affected Elizabeth as well. That's all I have to say for that. But folks, we want to know what you thought about that. You can send your emails to me, mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com, or you can send posts to me on the site formerly known as Twitter, Lilibitpod, at Lilibitpod there, L-I-L-I Betpod. You can also send posts to double P-H-Q oh, yes. on Twitter. The word double, the letters P-H-Q. Tell Bubba how much you absolutely loved his doubles for episode eight. You can also use that spelling for Facebook, facebook.com slash the word double letters, PHQ, all of the socials, Instagram, uh, threads, wherever you're at, just search for the word double the letters, PHQ, except YouTube, find our videos, like our videos, subscribe to the channel, uh, get those notifications so that you know when the next thing is coming down the pike for double P media. So that's youtube.com at the word double the letter P the word media there's a slash in there somewhere i'm not going to go back and correct myself again here's your 65 second recap of episode seven alma mater back in the past a young kate middleton and her mother happen upon a young prince william and his mother diana kate's fascination with william inspires her mother to meticulously plan kate's future to align with the young princes ranging anywhere from gap year adventures to the choice of university and major Though the attraction to each other seems mutual, stars don't align all that well for Will and Kate, as Will gets a girlfriend, makes a fool of himself in front of both that girlfriend and Kate, and Kate gets a boyfriend. Will becomes quite miserable in the aftermath, and he consults with his family, including his partying brother and his royal grandmother, about his situation at uni. Kate brings her boyfriend home to a disapproving mother, and when she confronts her mother, is told that William might leave St. Andrews. She sends him a text asking him not to leave, which is well received. Bubba, the wheel is primed and ready to go. Why don't you give it a spin and tell me what it says? And it lands right, ooh, probably not the true focus of the episode, but it is an interesting component of the episode, and that is about the mom who's got her eye on the prize. It's the crown talking about another parent we just got done with Dodie and Moo Moo but here's another parent who is willing to help their child get in royal with the royalties any thoughts about actress Eve Best as Kate Middleton's mom Matt yeah it's great to have again a queen who never was but she's trying to make a queen uh so that's awesome I thought Eve Best did a great job uh as far as Kate's mother very ambitious and you know 
historically, well, again, this is a lot of these things are blown out to the point where they're just broad caricatures. But I love the fact that Kate Middleton's mother was is known as someone who was quite self-made and ambitious. Um, probably not to this degree, obviously. Um, but I did uh, I did love seeing the wheels turn between behind the eyes uh, of Eve Best as she portrayed this character. Um, what did you think of Kate's mom? Well, I was of two minds. The show really makes Moo Moo out to be an unfortunate meddling parent. And I mentioned him in my intro to this section because he, the show doesn't, in my mind, go the full way with Kate Middleton's mother, but it does go a bit of a way. But for whatever specific reason, watching this, I started thinking to myself, you know, she's not a villain. There's a, there's nothing wrong with this. You know, we're acting like she did something wrong, but she really didn't. This is a no. a mother, you know, who says, okay, my child wants this. Let me see if I can help it. Don't we all wish our parents were this supportive when we were when we were aiming for something when we were a kid, you know? Now, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute, Bubba, because I don't want my mother sending me out to Chile to just tear down a jungle with a machete just because I got a crush on a girl. That's just not my style. Uh, I mean, I want the girl, yes, but I don't want to do the work for it. That's for sure. You get, get off your tush. Go to Chile one time. Uh -huh. I, come on, man. I think I, I just disagree. I think that it's not like she, the, it's not like Kate wasn't interested in William. She was, she had him on her wall. And so she's like, well, hey, why not take a swing? And I'm sure the daughter, if she said, I didn't want to go to Chile, she could have gotten out of going to Chile. I mean, give me a break. So I I thought it was perfect. I had no trouble. So you thought all of that stuff that Kate was saying at the end of the episode, you know, I missed out on a year of uni where I could have been with my friends, but no, now I'm a year behind. Uh, I had oh to do Lord. all of these extra special oh. classes and everything which you took convinced me to sign up for. Oh, so you don't brother, you don't hold her mother way responsible. Oh, way to not take any personal responsibility at all. Young actor playing the character Kate on this show. Oh, I didn't get to go to university. You know, I got a year off. Oh my god, I would have loved a year off. And it's not like you 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 lost your friends in any way. If you did, that's on you. Come on. All right. Uh, this actress, is her name Meg Bellamy? Yes, it is yeah. Meg Bellamy. She's uh, she's very compelling. I I, I enjoyed her as Kate. <laughs> Wait, what's that supposed to mean, Matt? I just mean... Do you have a crush on Kate just like William has a crush on Kate? She's a little young for me, uh, but okay. she, uh, she, I thought that she did a really good job, played somebody who was, um, you know, a believable person who was questioning why her mother had done this for a little while, especially after she finds out what a loser William is in the library. Oh, come on. And I, I enjoy, I enjoyed the character portrayal. Uh, there's a neat little, you can probably find it on the, uh, the X posts for the show, official show, the official mm -hmm. X post um, of the, this actress, Meg Bellamy and Ed McVeigh, who plays William, the way that they, they do a little, one-on-one -on -one where they teach each other how they come to talk 
like those characters, like little inflections in words that make them sound like those characters. It was mm-hmm. really interesting. So I, I checked that out. I think I retweeted it on my uh, X posts. So okay. check out for that um, at LilibitPod on Twitter, the site formerly known as. And we will, uh, you know, just check that out because I, I think it's really cool to see the kind of hard work that these actors do. And I felt like it paid off for for Kate in this episode. You um, are pivoting away from the subject of Mummy. Do you have anything else to say about Miss Middleton? I don't guess that I do. Do you? Uh, no, but I just want to circle back to your point. We love this actress, Eve Best. She's been great in a lot of things, and she's really probably great in this as well, even though it's a very kind of smaller role in the piece. Look at that. We could have just held that conversation for another second because the wheel just landed on Will and Kate. There you go. I do think the character Kate has a bit more personality than Will on the show. (laughs) I've been so tough on it. Now, in previous episodes, I talked about how kind of it was like when Will was doing, when the actor playing Will was doing scenes with the actress playing Diana, I thought, oh boy, they're really showing that this boy is observant that his thoughts just by non-verbally communicating how his character feels about it but at least for me since that point the character of william has felt a little unmoored how do you feel do you feel any differently than i do about will being a a well-rounded character and or kate being a well-rounded character you're right will is he's become more reserved wouldn't that be the case though if you're suddenly you're number one you have to you've been through all of this stuff you have to become more guarded i think that ed mcveigh is actually playing the character very well because he is trying to be guarded because he is fending off harry um i think that you would and and i think it's unfortunate that this happens probably to a lot of the royal family but i feel like they have to you know kind of as Elizabeth did all her life, have to play down her personality and just play the role. Um, okay, can 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 because that's where you're exactly going, Matt, that I want to talk about. Okay. Elizabeth, the character on the show, is very reserved in a million scenes, in a million places, all these things. But the show would provide insight, you know, scenes peaks behind the curtain, so we would get to know young Lilibet. This the peaks behind the curtain, William is still reserved. You know, there are little moments of a bit of life like, uh, come on, uh, security guards, you're supposed to keep up and, and, and do more than just look out for terrorist stuff. But um, the, they're not much. So Queen Elizabeth was very reserved, was very reserved. Yet the show provided us with with insight into who the character was. I did not feel like in this episode, especially, they provided any great insight into who the character William really was behind the curtain. Okay, I can give you that, Bubba. I, I feel like that with with episode five and everything that happened between William and and Charles, um, I didn't feel like I needed it, and and it felt okay. understandable to me that he would become more reserved. Everybody has some characteristics behind the curtain everybody has you know some life behind the curtain that lets us know who they are and how they really feel and their thoughts on things okay. and i just didn't get it from this portrayal in any way 
you got it much more from from Kate. Well, how do you feel about the way that their relationship has kind of been very rocky in this particular episode? Uh, does that feel dramatic enough for you? Great, great question, Matt, because I did only go six out of 10. You're saying very rocky and very this, you know, you're kind of describing it how it is. And yet, you know, maybe this is just my own interpretation of of relationships, especially when you're in a high school or a freshman in university. To me, it didn't feel rocky. It felt kind of typical, like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. this is this is the way these things go. And so I don't suddenly go, oh, wow, what a dynamic relationship that's so rocky. I'm like, yeah, you know, these things, these things are tricky. These things are, you know, you've got to, you've got to find your way. And so, you know, I'm sorry. I just didn't find it especially dramatic or shocking or anything. So, well, how about you? What did you like about it? You're talking about how it's dramatic and how there are these challenges and how he blew it. And yes, he did blow it, but you know, like if you've watched any TV or movies, characters have blown it much worse than William blew it in the library. So talk about what you liked about it. One of the things that I did like about that particular scene, and by the way, justice for Lola, justice yes. for Lola. This um, composite character, justice for her. Yes. Uh, she is a composite of all of the, I guess, the the posh kind of girlfriends that William had prior to Kate. And yep. so I loved uh him getting caught like that um i don't think i i agree with you i don't think that they portrayed he kind of moped around a little bit in the episode because things were going badly i thought his apology was compelling and i thought that her reaction to that apology was compelling um i thought the way that he tried to fend off harry because Harry's just, he he's now in that position as the older brother. And it's like, you're just too young to get where I'm coming from. Even though Harry knows that uni is only about sex. That, I mean, that's all it is. It's just sex. Oh, brother. Yeah. Or, you know, and so he try, tries to provide him with condoms and what have you. But we'll talk about Harry in a second. <laughs> it's the only topic left on the wheel. I thought that, uh, like you said, it was ordinary. And I found that to be pretty dramatic in itself because it's like okay. oh hey these re- these royal people you can put <laughs> people between them yes. and everybody else at any time mm-hmm. um they have feelings too no boy when i was a freshman in college i think i went through you know more stressful <laughs> you know relationship drama than this and so i think the show has done better relationship drama than this and maybe by being true to life, it doesn't feel that dramatic to me. And so should we celebrate them for trying to be true to life, how this relationship may be started? So, you know, I don't know what to say. I I, I, I say if listeners disagree and do find this a very romantic meet cute or a very uh, kind of dramatic, ooh, we know these two are going to end up together, but how how in the world is it actually going to go? Please give us a feedback. I can I can be convinced, as I always like to say. And I always love hearing different opinions. Exactly. And, you know, I don't think that there's anything more real than choosing the subject that you're second best at as your major. Right? <laughs> Only got a B in art history, baby. Probably yeah. did get an A in fart history, as Harry implied. Let me say that that actually was, was you know, 
maybe the most shocking thing. I don't know, but I would assume a, a, a prince who doesn't have to worry about, you know, paying for college and doesn't have to worry about, oh, I want to get in this group. They'll, you know, he's the friggin' prince, future king. They're going to let him in any club or activity he wants to get involved in. I think, you know, the fact that he actually has kind of average grades might might have been the most interesting part of this. Like, oh, okay. You know, when I started at university, I struggled on a certain grades too, because it's like a change from uh, uh, your earlier learning. So, yeah, there just wasn't much there there for me. And, you know, whether it's your dad, you know, like there could be much more drama about uh, someone trying to fit in at a college and actually having a security guard tail them every way. But the way this is even portrayed on the show, that security guard didn't, at least to me, feel that invasive of his life. Did it feel that way to you? No, I felt like it, it felt to me like he was trying to stay out of his way. I'll mm-hmm. I'll give you one further. He okay. has no ambition really to make new friends. He's hanging Ooh, out. He's hanging out point. with only the people that he went to Eaton with. Good point. Well, you know that I guess I kind of understand, but because he's not making new friends, and the show is you know didn't spend time showing us him developing these friends previously. At the very least, it's just a pretty much like a okay. Once again, there's just no, not much life there. You know, like think about when Charles went away to school. Didn't it, wasn't there an episode about Charles going away to school and how he really was kind of separate and and felt oh, yeah. like all by himself? I don't remember his security guards, uh, you know, even really being a part of it. Like that was dramatic of here's somebody who really oh, feels Baba, alone. I think back to season two when he's at Gordonston and the security guards the security guard has to run the race with him at the end and he loses him because he just, or he's Charles stops and he he has to go and get him and bring him in. Well, no, that's a good point. Okay. So, so that did happen. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your memory that that did happen, but the drama so much more was about is Prince Charles who has kind of, kind of had a miserable, uh, earlier part of his educational world, is he going to be able to fit in and all that stuff? And so that really, to me, was dramatic. I think that worked as a piece of dramatic television in ways that maybe this one didn't. One topic yes. left on the wheel. Um, Harry knows his job as number two. Boy, I want you number to, two. Yeah, I want you to talk about this first, because to me, Harry was like, the spice. He was like the pepper. He was like a a little part of this episode, but so much of your talk has been focused on this. And so maybe we're going to put you back in the therapy couch, but why did this affect you so much? This betrayal of Harry, this character of Harry being, you know, almost like the, the buddy in a, uh, in a, one eighties teen comedy thing. He's the buddy of like, yeah, let's go to college and go crazy. You know, uh, to me, he was just a spice on the episode. I really didn't take much from Harry. Why did Harry well, affect you so much, Matt? I just felt I just feel like that the show has slighted his character quite a bit. Hmm. Um, okay. You, I mean, does the real Harry? Do you, can you picture the real Harry drinking at thirteen? Yeah, I can. Ex- I can experience. I can imagine a lot of kids drinking at thirteen. That doesn't seem, you know, as much that, as we see him drink it in yeah. that episode. Sure. You know, like, yeah, you know, you all. Well, they all are afforded. That, they are afforded unsupervised opportunities that others are not. Um, right, but we all know those kids. Are, you know, I, I maybe I'm, you know, speaking too kindly, but 
you know, you know, that cousin who sneaks off at a, at a reunion to go sneak a sip of beer or drink a beer like these things to me, they didn't seem that particularly shocking. I mean, we have, I understand that Harry is in this odd position of he's number two. So he is a really a good parallel to princess Margaret. But on the flip side, I think about who are Prince Charles's younger brothers. I mean, do they really even have any kind of role in the show at all? And so they show up, they have a little bit of spice, but otherwise the show doesn't remember them. And so, I, you know, Harry, he's playing that type of role on the show to me. He's just a, you know, okay, I'm there. It's the sassy guy. All right. I'm going to put you in a really difficult position, Bubba. All right. Can't wait. Okay. You're 16 years old. Yeah. Your older brother just graduated from Eton. All right, sure. Your whole family's gathered around, and you decide that the best possible gift to give him is condoms. You are you doing that? Well, I let me say, I <laughs> I am the oldest son, so this I'm not the like younger brother trying to tease okay. or, or pull one on the older brother. So I don't really have anybody like that in my thing. But we played. Uh, so, sorry, how old is he supposed to be in this again? I would say about, he's like two years younger than William, right? So he's 16, 15, 15, 16? 15, 16, somewhere in there. Okay, no, but what I did do, this is not kind of as an adult in content at all, but I remember one Christmas, I got my my siblings uh, and my grandparents even uh, like real gifts, but then I would also get them a gag gift. Like, so I got my grandmother, you know, like a real gift. Here you go, granny. Here's a Christmas present. But I also got her some Ben Gay. I'm like, here's some stuff for your joints. My, one of my sisters, her hair was always tangled. So I got her a real, real present, but I got her this thing they used to sell in the eighties as a kid. It was like called no more tangle stuff, you know? Um, and so they were gag gifts that, you know, okay. I was, you know, at this time I was probably, you know, 11 or 12 but it, it they were still gag gifts that that yeah. uh were meant to kind of tease my siblings in a way and my grandmother in the ben gay uh wrapping okay. up ben gay all right door. so if your grandmother's yeah, Matt, the queen if your grandmother's the queen of england are you doing that these let me say that once again i'm going off the show as it's been presented they kind of have what I would call sharp tongues. They they do like to razz each other. Hopefully that translates across the pond, what I'm trying to get across, you know? Mm -hmm. And so to me, I've seen all the characters do that a bit, you know, like all the characters kind of give zing, zingers to each other. So yeah, I think, you know, even, even if my grandmother's the queen, maybe I would zing her. You know, it feels like something that, that this family, the way it's portrayed on this show, they do. You know, certainly not, you know, not at every moment. There's appropriate and inappropriate moments, but it feels like something this family did. Okay. You know, I, I understand that he is kind of being a, a mess up and almost re reveling in his being, a, you know, hey, I'm a number two, so I get to do whatever the hell I want and it doesn't matter. And True. so, you know, I, I, I just, once again, to me, he's like a spice in the episode. The meat of the episode should be William, but because I can't get a good grasp on this character... This episode is probably the one I was least engaged with. There might have been episodes I even liked less, but I would rate them higher because I would engage with them more. Where in this one, you know, it was like, okay, that happened. <laughs> okay, then let's get your 65 second recap for season six, episode eight, Ritz. 
The episode takes place over a couple of different time periods, the first being 1945 during the Victory Over Europe celebrations. Here, Margaret and Elizabeth sneak out of the palace to participate in the celebrations with Porchy and Pete Townsend. And while Margaret, Porchy, and Townsend celebrate in the upstairs ballroom, Elizabeth finds herself drawn to considerably more wild party occurring in the downstairs club. This particular night is the one that Margaret continually reminds the present-day queen of the life that she actually loved and could have had if not for being queen. Over a series of several CVAs, we see Margaret's health deteriorate, but she continues to live life to the fullest where she can, blaming her imaginary friend, Cousin Halifax, for the faux pas. At Margaret's 70th birthday party, Elizabeth actually gets sentimental, and she begins spending time with Margaret, reading to her during her last night on Earth. In Margaret's final moments, she relives the end of the long night out on VE Day and says goodbye to her sister. The entitled card tells us that Margaret died peacefully in her sleep at age 71 on the morning of February 9th, 2002. <laughs> wow, this wheel's just divided in half. Let's talk about, once again, I, I said this earlier, let's talk about a character that the show has caused us to really have empathy for, have really care about. We understand the trials and tribulations this character has gone through across a lifetime. And now they're at the end. And it's sad. It's sad that maybe their life didn't, you know, they didn't reach the highs that they wanted their life to to have. But on the flip side, you know, she did seem you know, there were her, she did have her pleasure. She did have her happy places, her happy things to do. And it's tragic to see that, you know, these kind of betray her and that she can't enjoy her life the way she wants to all the way to the end. But this character has a lot of dignity. This character had a lot of life. And I think, you know, when she leaves, it's it's sad because losing a life like that is sad. But I also feel it was a great tribute to what Princess Margaret had to do in her life and what she had to put up with. So I, I loved seeing it. I think when you get to the end of a show, you need episodes like this. And I thought it was practically perfect. What about you? The shower scene really disturbed me. That one more so than oh, the one in oh, the bedroom. Man. That shower scene was just man. horrific, man. Yes. Um, And, you know, so well shot to make it that way. Uh it it was just amazing the steam coming under the door um and with the aria playing on the radio and uh just just horror these things felt so real to me um yeah. and to me those last moments um where elizabeth were old older margaret passing margaret is telling elizabeth young elizabeth you know, I won't be here anymore, but I'll always be by your side. Um, that to me was just an emulation of her last thoughts as she was passing away. And that was really powerful to me. It's like, what will, if if you're capable, that's the other thing that's so horrific about this is how her body has failed her, but her mind is still there. Um, just so well done. It was so well done. And I can't, you know, I, I don't know what kind of experience this actress has had with people with strokes or what kind of experience, um, you know, Peter Morgan 
or has had with writing these uh, or, you know, what kind of experience that they've lived with people who have suffered from these. But CVAs are no joke, man. Do whatever you got to do to keep your vessels open, folks. I mean, it's it can be, just as we saw here, one of the most horrific things to have your mind working Matt. pretty functionally, mm -hmm. perfectly. And but your body just won't do what what your conscious brain tells you to do. Matt, if you don't mind, talk about that a bit some more. What did you say? CVAs? What What are we? What are you? What are you trying to get us? That, to that's that's a that's a stroke, right? Okay. Uh, it's okay. a it's a cerebral vascular accident, is what we call it today. Mm. People, <laughs> stop eating French fries. <laughs> if Wait, you don't what? Want this to, if this if you don't want this to happen to you, just stop eating French fries for crying out loud. Really, you know that's it's the most the American trick? thing this... to do. This is the, this is crazy. I didn't know this. So wait a minute. So 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 as plaque take me builds up, that. as plaque builds up in in your blood vessels, uh, okay. that's that's where the accident happens. Because sometimes that plaque gets free, and it's got to go all the way through your system to get back to your heart. Oh wow! Um, so that's why heart attacks and and strokes happen. Uh, for the most part, it's because you know, if in the case of Margaret, she's done so much smoking. That her veins have already constricted to the point where it's hard for anything to get through even blood but any kind of little blockage can be much more significant and that stuff just scares the crap out of me <laughs> you can't of course you can't eliminate it completely but you can't there are things that people can do to make it less much less likely to happen and right, i'm let's hear them let's hear them we want to save Princess Margaret, what do we need okay. to do? These are all the things that should be done all right. that I don't do. Oh, no. Okay. Stop smoking. Don't Fair eat enough. fried foods. So is there any way I can eat French fries and then take a pill so it cures it or it's just all bad? You can eat French fries. Just don't fry them. Um, just eat the raw potatoes. You'll be fine. Okay. Raw potatoes. No problem. Yeah. And you're killing us. Oh, no hash browns, all the great stuff. Um, let's get back to Margaret. It's painful to see somebody who's been told, hey, quit the drinking, quit the smoking. Should we almost, dare I say it, be proud that she was like, I want to go out the way I, I want to? Or is it is it sad to see a character we really care about? unable to overcome these, you know, cravings that she has. That's a very interesting question for me, for me personally, she's told, and this is still the case that okay. once you have your first stroke, chances are you're going to have another one. And there's just like nothing you can do or, uh, well, she could have done the things that they recommended to her, but it would have been absolutely no guarantee. It was, still would have been very likely that she would have a second one. The thing that you wow. need to do is preventive. Do okay. it, do it before the first one happens, right? You're much better off. But once she has that news, I kind of respect her for deciding to be who she wants to be, mm -hmm. you know, uh, going, going out on her, not really on her own terms. Um, but because even at the end of the episode, she says, you know, I'm not ready to leave this party. Good. Yeah. You know, um, the, on the other hand, uh, it, I guess it becomes a, a quantity versus quality of life, right? And what you perceive that quality to be. But I'm for it. I'm, I'm, you know, 
like I said, don't do all those things except for the fact that I do all those things. So, <laughs> um, that's that's my perspective on it. How about you? I mean, would you is it a is it a quantity versus quality issue for you, or uh, do you think you know it needed help, or what? What do you think? It is just heartbreaking to see it, but. Once again, I, I feel like in some ways that's who she was. She was a free spirit. For a lot of the early seasons of The Crown, she's like, in my opinion, the best character on the show. And so we've grown to care about her. She was a free spirit. It's heartbreaking that she left this mortal mortal coil so early in her life. But it, it wasn't exactly... You know, it wasn't a tearjerker. Let's put it that way. It's more like a, well, that's who she is. She wants, she, um, you know, probably that's what you should always want to be in your life is who you are. And so um, it was sad, but not, you know, not a heartbreaker. How about that? Well, let's find a middle ground on the wheel here. And let's just talk about Margaret's perspective of the 1945. And well, it's funny you talk about that Matt in your intro you were talking about Margaret in the 1945 you know before I was talking about how Harry really felt like a spice not really the point of the previous episode I'm not sure I learned much about Margaret in the 1945 flashback at all to me the 1945 flashback was all about Elizabeth and how she is you know always does rebellion in baby steps even at that young an age so I don't right. know. Did you did you find Margaret in 1945 to be truly insightful into the character? Well, what I found insightful about it was the fact that she kept bringing it up in the show in the, in the episode, present, present yeah, day, sure. okay. which means that it left a great impression on her. And the the thing that really got me, and this does pertain to Elizabeth also, but it also shows me how much Margaret has come to appreciate. Elizabeth, um, despite all of the fights that they had about Peter Townsend, despite, you know, whatever was going on mm. in the 60s. Um, this, to me, shows that at the end of her life, Margaret has clung to the one thing that has always been true to her in the fact that no matter who she is, she has always looked up to her sister and her sister's abilities to do the job. And um, to me, that comes through when she tells Porchy and uh, a young Pete Townsend uh, that at the, when they get to the downstairs of the club, are you kidding? We're not pulling her out of here. This is the most fun she's ever had in her whole life. We're going to let her have this. Um, I loved that. Um, to me, it showed as much as we see Margaret and Elizabeth go back and forth or tolerate or just be frank with one another. This is the first time I ever saw Margaret look at Elizabeth with big eyes and say, that's my sister. You know, the walk back while Elizabeth is chewing gum. And Margaret is just delighted by that. You know, all of these things just said so much to me about the way that Margaret felt about Elizabeth, probably her entire life, that you miss in those confrontations. Okay. All right. I, I guess fair enough. I, di I didn't take it that way, but sure. Well, see, I, like I said, I go left field on all this stuff sometimes. At this point, and 
forgive me if I'm already confusing the the timeline a bit. At this point, has her uncle abdicated the throne and her dad is king and she is the the heir apparent? Yeah, George he was is. king during 19 the- during World War II. He was, yeah. Okay. So, so she is the heir now. Right. So to me, it's exactly what I described before. It's tiptoeing into rebellion, tiptoeing into a world that, you know, into anything. Like if you were somebody who felt the the chains of propriety and the chains of okay, now I'm a now I'm the heir. I'm the I'm the I will be the would be ruler. And if you were like, okay, I just need a day where I can take off a moment where I can take off and not have these pressures and have all the fun in the world. She didn't like attack it with gusto, right? Sneaking out was still a bit of a outside her comfort zone. And so that's how she and Margaret were really different. Margaret would take those moments to really have complete freedom to where, um, even at this young age, we see Elizabeth as somebody who is 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 not willing to give themselves the complete freedom that maybe somebody would want them to have. How about that? Yeah, Elizabeth is the one who uh, goes on downstairs and doesn't tell anybody their friends because it's the only she's worried it's the only opportunity she's ever going to have. Right? Yeah. So but it's also even in the sneak out, Porchy was there. Right? Like this is not. This is not, I'm going to completely let my hair down and this is going to be the party to end all parties, people. Oh, that's true. I kind of love the the evolution of Elizabeth's losing a little bit of her naivete or mm-hmm. at least a little bit of her uptightness, uh, starting with seeing that couple kiss out in the square yep. and going, yep. and How going dare all the they? way through. In public. Yeah, in public. Good heavens. Wow. I bet her and <laughs> Philip never did that. Yeah, please. Um, let's hope not. <laughs> uh, so it's just, I loved seeing that evolution to, to the point where, you know, there's this guy, she, she's enjoying the sound of the music. Yep. There's a handsome man, young man, Navy guy or army guy who's invited her to come downstairs. Then she sees this hateful, hateful dude who says, you know, that's just a place for, we're not even going to say, uh, you know, what the racial implication of all of that was. Yeah, it's a very dismissive uh, person who may have had a backwards, you know, what year is this again? 1940s, 1940s uh, uh, values that weren't even cool in 1940s. So, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, well, and, you know, I've always thought of the UK as slightly more progressive towards that than the United States, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know. If for no other reason, she understands how hateful that is and does it in spite of him, which I love that little bit of evolution of rebelliousness in her. It's like, well, screw my friends. I'm going to go down here and and see what this is about. And it's more out of curiosity, I think, than, you know, just out of uh, urge or anything else because her curiosity, people kissing in public. Well, what else am I going to see today? (laughs) So, uh, you know. But she already knew how to do those dances. So what she's are been you paying attention to, to something. What are you trying to say there, Matt? She's been paying attention to something. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, and she has always had that. 
that's one of the beautiful things about what Margaret realizes is that Elizabeth has always had that nature in her, has always wanted to be that person, but never could. And here, the the anonymous nature of all of this makes it very easy for her to just do this, even if it's just once. But Margaret realizes then what a sacrifice that was uh, for Elizabeth's entire life. And that, to me, is the big lesson in this episode that I feel carries through in, in the finales or the final two episodes. Okay. Well, I haven't watched them yet, listeners. I've been good. I've been trying to present a honest opinion on these episodes and not you know, have the later episodes influence me in any way, unlike Matt, but you know. No, I'm I'm bad. I'm That's bad. Right. What else about Elizabeth in 1945? Anything or Elizabeth in present day for that matter? I want to go to Elizabeth in present day. And thank goodness I've not had to go through this tragedy in my life of losing a sibling. Yeah. yeah. But this is especially a younger sibling. This is just yeah. This is just complete. We know, because once again, this is a six-season experience. We know how much they mean to each other. And to see her, to see her have to see her sister like this, it's really, you know, it's it's heartbreaking not only for Margaret's fate, but also for how Elizabeth is losing this important person in her life. I was so moved by that shot of after she was reading to Margaret, and she goes to the door and she looks back. And you just know that that's the show yep. is portraying it, that it's the last yep. time that she's going to see her before mm-hmm. it goes into, you know, the completion of the, oh, here's what happened uh, portion of the 1945. There's, there's a cut that was played underneath that, that we're covering in the musical analysis this week. And the camera slowly pans in on her. Imelda Staunton was so fantastic in that moment. It was incredible. She was saying goodbye. And that was so hard to watch. Yeah, crazy, crazy moment. And again, I want to say that it's it's a crazy moment for us viewers. We, you know, six seasons brought us to this place. And that's why we love this show. I thought it was great. Anything else before we move on to the history notes? Bye-bye. No, you know, we've talked so much about our feelings, but let's get to the facts. Give us those history notes. Here they come for both episodes, Alma Mater and Ritz. Here are your history notes for Season 6, Episodes 7 and 8. For the seventh episode, E-Online News speculates that it is highly unlikely that 14-year-old Kate Middleton would be snipping the picture out of magazines after she and her mom, Carol Middleton, spotted him and Diana in the street selling copies of The Big Issue for charity. However, the prince has been known to do that in real life. William and Kate were friends before they got together, with Kate dating fourth-year Rupert Finch, although William did not date anyone named Lola. Lola Airedale Cavendish Kincaid is a fictional character. Lola being described from a family so posh they had to name it thrice, functions as a stand-in composite of all of Williams's posh ex-girlfriends. Source, Town and Country. For episode 8, the princesses were actually allowed to go out among the crowds during the VE Day celebrations, though they did not stay out all night. 
They went out with a group totaling 16 into the crowds, including the Nanny Crawfee, several friends their own age, and military protection, including Group Captain Peter Townsend. Source, The Guardian. Princess Margaret is known to have had an imaginary friend named Cousin Halifax. Source on this, the channel My Five Documentary Royals at War, and the International Business Times. Porchy did in fact die on 9-11. He died on the operating table that day, having suffered a heart attack moments after the second plane hit the World Trade Center, an event that he and his wife saw live on TV. According to Bettle Smith's 2012 biography, Elizabeth the Queen. And Margaret's wishes for her funeral portrayed to Elizabeth in the show did in fact partially reflect reality. On February 15th, a rose-colored coffin was draped with white roses and pink tulips. And Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake played as mourners filed into St. George's Chapel in Windsor for the private funeral Margaret had requested, according to reports from the day. After the service, she became the first member of the royal family in 60 years to be cremated, her ashes interred in the family vault next to her father, King George VI. Source, E! Online. And those are your history notes for these episodes. You'll find all of the links in the show notes. Coach T, what the hell are you doing here? Oh my Order. goodness. This podcast has gone to hell if we've invited Coach T here for this serious show. I am the show. chairman of the House of Lords, whom today we are having a parliamentary debate. We have an issue here. Which actor looks most like the historical characters they oh, play? Wow. So which actor looks, you know, physically the most like the character they're portraying. And we have six seasons worth of characters to talk about. And I think there are some debate. There may be also, we should add as a debate, which character looks the least like the character they're portraying in history. But I'm going to go positive now. And I've looked at some of these pictures. And once again, we have, sometimes we have three actresses or actors portraying one character over time. And it's like, okay, who looks the most like their character. I'm going to give my first runner-up position to the actress Claudia Harrison, who portrays Princess Anne. I think at the right angle, this actress really does look a lot like Princess Anne. And I think it's a credit to the show that Princess Anne, you know, I mentioned how Prince Charles is uh Younger brothers don't seem to be characters really on the show, uh, glorified extras, you know, uh, secondary actors, where Claudia Harrison has been a, a constant presence on the show. And this, uh, what I would call the second version of Princess Anne, portrayed by actress Claudia Harrison, I think she really does look a lot like Princess Anne from the photos. So that's my first nominee. She's not my number one, but she's my first nominee. What says you, Matt Murdock? Well, I'm going to take you a Princess Anne, and I'm going to raise you a Prince Charles, and I'm going to Char uh Josh O'Connell in mm -hmm. seasons three and four as Charles, and perhaps I'm uh, implying mannerisms or applying mannerisms and that type of thing to Charles uh, right. and Josh O'Connell's performance more so than actual physical looks, 
Um, but there is a little bit more of a similarity similarity there than any of the other uh, people who have played Charles, although seasons one and two, it was just a kid playing him. So it doesn't really matter. But uh, I think that he's definitely much closer to the way I imagine Charles than Dominic West, although Dominic West does great jobs with the gestures and all of that stuff too. Um, but even the inflection and everything that Josh O'Connell did uh, in seasons three and four really uh, to me, evoked at least a great caricature of charles and a much more accurate <laughs> caricature of charles okay um, than i expected that's pretty good and so is josh o'connell your number one like okay this person really looks the most like the real person i am gonna go with Char with uh, josh o'connell as my number one because i'm tired of looking at photos very honest there all right i'm gonna go with possibly a a shocking choice and one that people may disagree with and it is that once again these people are not identical twins but when i look at somebody and i go okay i could really see how they could be a version of this real life historical figure i don't think certainly claire foy who's a great actress who really carried this show through the early seasons I don't think she it very much looks like Queen Elizabeth did at that age. I certainly don't think Vanessa Kirby as young as the youngest version in those early seasons of Princess Margaret looked much of anything like Princess Margaret. But this character, this season, I think, you know, once again, it, it's not an identical twin, but you're like, okay, I see it. I think this works. And that's an actress you mentioned earlier, Matt. That is Meg Bellamy who is playing young Kate Middleton. I oh. think she really does look like Kate. Like maybe it's even more the coloring than her specific face, but I think they really did find somebody who you're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense that she would portray Kate Middleton at this time in her life. So I'm going throughout the entire series. That's what's so crazy. I'm going with this actress who was introduced at the end, Meg Bellamy, as the most accurate physical portrayal of the character in real life. Excellent. Do we want to do leasts? Oh boy. Boy, I, I think, think we're going to come up we're both going to come up with the same answer unfortunately. Yeah, we might. So let's let's hear it. Boy, I think there's some actual a lot of nominees, but who do you think is the least like the character they portray on the show physically? You know, like you're like, okay, how could anybody confuse these two people for being the same person? Dominic West. I mean, I love the way he plays yeah. Charles, but man, he just doesn't look anything like Charles. He's too good looking. <laughs> well, again, I kind of think that's true of Vanessa Kirby and Claire Foy in those early years. You are right. Dominic West really does it in any kind of way. I mean, in very superficial ways, looks a bit like, a bit, you know, you can squint and you can kind of see it, but yeah, it is. It is not, it is not, it is not good. I mean, it, it, that, they're not the same person in any sort of way. Yeah. And that, whereas with Josh, I did let other things kind of play into it. I can't mm -hmm. with Charles, uh, as far as Dominic West goes, because I think his voice, I think he does very good. I think, uh, to me, yeah. uh, I think that his mannerisms are pretty good too. Uh, but it's just, I can't, I look at him and I say, uh, it's a guy playing Charles. It's not Charles. Uh, and we've always tried to look at this as a drama. 
or you yep. have uh i i've always tried to up until you know last season i really tried to just look at it from a historical perspective completely but with this guy i just i can't abandon i'm not saying it takes me out of the moment i'm just saying he just no. doesn't he doesn't uh you know there there's always this kind of thing is like he did a really good job playing a guy that he looks nothing like yeah i think that's fair i think that's really fair i would love it if i always mention on these podcasts that i'm not really a royal watcher i've not been somebody you know studying them over the years i would love for you our listeners to tell us if we're right if we're wrong who you think has been the most accurate portrayal. If if you really follow this family and these royals for all these years, who do you think maybe looks the most accurate? Who do you think their portrayal is the most accurate? I would love to hear it. That's right. At Lilibet Pod on the site formerly known as Twitter or at the word double, the letters PHQ across all social medias. You can also send emails to mathodeblog at gmail.com. We've only got one episode left, folks. So get those feedbacks in for this episode for all prior episodes mm -hmm. as soon as possible we'll yes. be recording it shortly after 2024 begins so get them in quickly get them in by new year's to be sure and if you are happen to catch this i know you will on the audio but i don't know if you'll get it in the video podcast or on the youtube channel before december 31st uh, i'll try to get the video to bubba as quickly as i can but yeah, uh, if you get if you're hearing this voice, we have nine thousand eight hundred viewers of my YouTube contest. Oh man. We have one Whoa. entry. Get your chance in. It's a one hundred dollar gift card from Amazon. So find the YouTube link in the show notes and by New Year's Day. New Year's Day of twenty twenty four. Yep. If you're hearing this after that, too late. Sorry. But by New Year's Day 2024, listen to the five sounds that I make. Try to guess what words I was trying to say. <laughs> and the person with the most correct guesses wins. Or if there's a tie, we will, of course, randomly pick between the ones who guess the most. Time for my musical analysis, Bubba. Heck yeah. This time it's all about the piano. If you don't like music stuff, you can skip ahead 10 minutes, 45 seconds. The power of a sustained piano, be it just by holding a note out while other notes are playing or by using the actual sustained pedal is something that we hear throughout both of these episodes, actually. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But first, I want to talk about the music supervisor stuff, as we always do. What tunes weren't composed by Fitz in these episodes? Let's look at episode seven. You have, of course, the opening of Peggy Lee singing the Christmas Waltz. That tune is actually also sung by Margaret at the Christmas party as well. Naturally, they're different performances, but they both had to be licensed in order to be used. We have the Chemical Brothers, Hey Boy, Hey Girl, and that's when we first see William and Harry partying. We have Stardust doing Music Sounds Better With You. That's when William meets Lola. And it's also used during the end credits. Now, I couldn't identify the tune in the background as Kate sees William from the restaurant window. Nor could I identify the music coming from above William's room when he's trying to sleep. 
So if you have any idea of what those are, please let me know at LilibitPod on a site formerly known as Twitter. The final piece that I found in this episode, uh, Portis Head, Glory Box, and that's at the Balmoral Party. For episode eight, the big band piece is playing as Elizabeth and Margaret are venturing out onto the streets, is Rollum by Benny Goodman. The piece playing while Margaret is reciting her poem and seemingly having her first CVA, orchestral overtures, Meeting is Mine. We have Julie London performing Why Don't You Do Right during Margaret's first rehabilitation. We have La Travista Act One, Foley, Delirio, Veno e Questo, and Semper Libra during the shower sequence. Now, I couldn't identify the music that Elizabeth and Porchy danced to at the Ritz back in the past, nor the band or tune that actually played live at the Downstairs Club. Obviously, Margaret sings a little bit of It Ain't My Fault as she's talking to Elizabeth earlier in the episode, but I could not find the artists who were live performing that. So again, if you have information, let me know. One that was easy to identify was Mozart's Sonata in B-flat major, and that is when Margaret is struggling with her tea. When Elizabeth actually gets invited to the downstairs club at the Ritz, the piece that is playing in the background there is Big Fat Tuesday by Bigger Story Music. And then, of course, a real gut-wrencher is the Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered during the ending credits. So it's actually, I think, the performance from season one, because you can hear King George singing just a little bit in the background there, which made the ending very poignant for me. But also happy in a way, because I kind of like to think of it as Margaret is now once again singing with her dad. Now we're talking about how the piano, when notes are sustained how that can create certain effects. And in both the piece in episode seven, which is called William, by the way, on the season six official soundtrack, although most of the versions that you hear in this episode probably are not directly from that recording. That recording seems to be applied more to the next big William episode. I won't say any more because I don't want to spoil anything for those of you who haven't gotten there yet. But it's a theme that we've actually heard before, and we heard it applied to Elizabeth when she was kind of worried about Prince Philip and his companion and other aspects that revolved around Elizabeth, but most of it was due to love. And so that's kind of the general thematic thing, actually probably a love that is a little bit tentative as it was in the moment there for Elizabeth and as it is for Philip here regarding Kate. But the theme sounds like this. Again, we heard this in season five, and so I'm not going to break it down because I think I actually broke it down last season. It was one of the pieces that we did our musical analysis for last year. But I do want to point out that because those notes hold out, and it's either because the sustain pedal is held while other notes are playing with it, what kind of effect does a string instrument have when it's held open like that? either by just leaving your thumb or your finger or whatever on the piano key, or by physically holding down the sustain pedal where all of the notes, the little buffers, are taken off of the strings. 
Well, what that allows is any other notes that are played start to affect the harmonic sequence of the notes that are being held. Part of where the timbre comes from, the way that the instrument sounds, comes from what we call its harmonic sequence. That means that when you play the note, you hear the main note, but there are actually also what we call overtones that also play. And they can be a fifth, an octave, an octave and a third, all different kinds of intervals, distances between notes that comprise and create the sound of that note, not the pitch. The pitch is predominantly what we hear as the fundamental. The note that you see on the page is the note that you hear primarily. But how open or how closed or how distant or how close that note sounds does depend on the harmonics that ring through. And that creates some interesting effects. Specifically for a piano, it generally creates a feeling of almost kind of an automatic type of reverb. In other words, everything sounds like it's in a bigger space. And that's because you have not only the sound frequencies from the note that you've held open, but also the sound frequencies from notes that are being played while that note is being held open. Now, I will say that the Season 6 official soundtrack version of William also does something else that's not related to the sustain pedal, but related to rhythm. There are a lot more subdivisions in the melody. We have the basic eighth note type of subdivision happening with the melody in its normal way. But there's also, in the Season 6 official version, this constant eighth note thing that actually is staccato. There's separations in between each note that generate a little more energy than the way we heard it with the Queen, which makes more sense. A young man is going to have much more energy than an older woman or an older person. I mean, everybody's got more energy than me. So when you go to listen to the Season 6 official soundtrack, you won't have heard this as much present in this particular episode, but you will in a future episode. There is this eighth note subdivision that is driving everything that sounds like this. Probably the closest that we get to that in this particular episode is during the pool sequence. But let's turn to episode 8, and again, this episode is emotional for me. Because I get that way. But one of the pieces that was more emotional wasn't about Margaret, per se, as it was about Elizabeth. And the piece is found in the Season 6 official soundtrack, and it's called Sacrifice. Once again, you will hear how a note being held underneath while melody plays on top of it makes everything start to sound more open. The melody itself, again, is played on the piano and is really more just kind of an arpeggiation of the harmony, but it really works effectively melodically as well. It sounds like this. The first note of each, you know, measure, and these measures are counted in three, it's in three-quarter time or waltz time, But the first note is always held while the other notes are played. And that helps not only that note that's held to sound more open, but it also gives a sense of all of the other notes being open because the harmonic sequence, the overtones of that note, is helping to contribute to the new strings that are opened by you depressing them. And it's a lovely enough harmony. 
the fact that it starts in minor and kind of drifts towards the relative major and back and, and is really centered around that F chord if we were in A minor, which would be the four chord in the major or the flat six in the minor. Don't worry about the numbers. What that does is it leaves things open, open to change. And that's where the sustain pedal comes back in towards the end. As Elizabeth is looking from the door at her sister and the camera closes in on her, we hear this sequence. Because the sustain pedal is employed, the last two notes of the measure that are really just a half step apart continue to ring, and that creates an extra sense of tension. Not only are we on the G chord, which tends to make us want to lead to the C, or want to lead back to the A minor, but that sustaining effect makes it linger, makes it more poignant, makes it deeper. And these are all psychological effects that are considered by a composer. Not only that, but it just feels unresolved. Was there one more thing that Elizabeth should have said to Margaret? We'll never know. And that's the musical analysis for this week. Now, Matt, I really think you should have had this musical section be about The Crown, since that's what the podcast is about. I know The Piano was a great movie starring Holly Hunter, but you wanted to talk about that for some reason on this podcast. I guess that makes sense. You did not listen to my musical segment at all. But you said it was about the piano. I said it was about the piano. I forgot to add that it was about the piano's role in these episodes. Oh, wow. Which just goes to prove that you didn't listen to the segment. Regardless of that, I know people who did listen to the segments that yeah. we do because they've sent feedback in. Well, thank you. And for our review of episodes two and three of season six, we heard from MSW8839. I'm sorry, I didn't check your YouTube page to see what name that actually goes with, but that's your handle, uh, who said, uh, wanted to say that that psychic was not good. <laughs> he sees two people are going to die within weeks and gives them some garbage feel-good reading. By the way, I love your funny and informative show. Thank you so much for the great Thank comment. You. And we loved your joke. I think that's great. <laughs> it's true. That's awful woman. You didn't tell them they're going to die. Maybe she's one of those people who's like better that they don't know. She wanted to make sure she would be paid. She thought, well, if they know they're going to, you know. Yeah. yeah. I, that's why you get the money up front. Exactly like right. Uh, so uh, we also got a review back from season six, episode one. Uh, this mm. is from our double L. Double L? Yeah. Donut Buzzcut, the loyal listener. Yes. Uh, who says, uh, wanted to add something in that I forgot to add into the show notes, but okay. or into the history notes. But uh, they added that Princess Margaret did not actually attend Camila's 50th birthday. Hmm. Um, so thank you so much, Donut Buzzcut, for uh, catching up with us. I know that yeah. you said that you were a little delayed in uh, catching up with our podcast, but thank you so much for contributing. Uh, I apologize for not including that in the notes. I did have that jostled down. I just forgot to read it <laughs> for some reason. So thank you very much for uh, that information, Donut Buzzcut. 
we also have a couple of bits of feedback from uh, another double L. Double L? Loyal listener. Wow. Um, this is All Mods Cons, who is at ZephyrCat7 on YouTube. Heck yeah. Uh, who had some very nice things to say about our podcast. First of all, great podcast and analysis as usual. This channel is fantastic. I wonder wow. if they're watching other videos of yours, Bubba. Uh, Let's hope. They can't be just talking about the ones that I do. Uh, so uh, thank you very much for that. And what else does ZephyrCat7 say, Bubba? about our episode five and six review. Well, they wrote, I love the time you give any shows that you review. You guys always deep dive with analysis while also keeping it light and fun with your games. Matt, I think it's sweet that you wear your heart on your sleeve. Once again, that's from ZephyrCat7, not from me, Bubba. ZephyrCat continues, my only complaint with this podcast is you guys aren't on camera. It's more interesting when I can see your facial expressions. Well, good point. They end up by saying, overall, they rate that podcast about season six, episode five and six, 10 triple T's out of 10. Wait, triple T's? Thoughts terrifically timed. Oh, Thank you. Thank you so much. And sorry you didn't see our faces again this time. You see mine at the beginning of every podcast, but... Then I turn the camera off and Bubba never turns his camera on because his room is a disaster. You don't want to see what's behind him. That's what it is. Oh, Bubba, you know me and polls. We asked, oh, we kind of covered this before, but we got our final results for these polls uh, for episodes five and six, rating them for season six, episode six, 42.9% called it great. 23.8% oh. called it good. Okay. 19% called it fair mm. and 14.3% called it not so good. Wow. Wow. That is probably the toughest, not so good we've had. Don't you think? I think so. Um, here's another one, which didn't get a whole lot of votes, but the episode five was split even we more weirdly. Uh, although nobody said it was not so good. Nobody said it was good. They either oh. said it was great or fair 77.8% okay. saying it was great, 22.2% saying fair. Mm. Now, we did some what's worse, and I was so hoping that I might be able to say something like, Bubba, this has never happened before, except all of these have happened before. They're splits. Thank, God. Thank uh, goodness. What's worse, whiskey or beer? And Bubba, you won. 81.8% oh, wow. said whiskey is worse. Dang. Um. Everybody likes beer better than whiskey, evidently. Uh, although when you're a kid, I, I could see why that would be a compelling argument that whiskey is worse. Uh, what about this one for episode Let's five? Relying on your brother's aim to get something in your mouth or relying or. on an old movie projector to reinvigorate <laughs> memories. Yep. Brother's aim, definitely worse. She made a great argument about uh, sanitation problems there. Uh, 75%. <laughs> Uh, wow. said that the brother's aim is relying on that aim to be worse. Yeah. Although it's really relying on the aim really has nothing to do with the sanitation of the hands. Um, but you know, that's the way that folks voted. So I will accept these results. Trust uh, the people, Matt. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, episode six, here was the, what's worse that we did. And Bubba, we really screwed up on this. Thank God. We, we both argued who the Lord, how I, I admiral of the washes 
incorrectly. You said it was sand. I said it was laundry. Well, I said it was like tidal sand. Give me some credit here. <laughs> okay. Well, you get partial credit and you Yay. win the poll. Yay. Uh, no, wait a minute. I won this poll. This Boo. has never happened before where I announced That has wrong. never happened before. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, where I won, yeah, sixty-six point seven percent said that Lord High Admiral of the Wash was worse Yay. than the Yeoman of the China Pantry. Man, a lot of tough, a lot of tough titles there over with our friends in jolly old England. Yeah, titles for titles, Baba. Yeah, we only have one thirtieth of the entire series left to cover. Well, I, unlike you, I have not watched it, so I am going to, I think I've seen some screen grabs of some stuff on Twitter that I wish I hadn't seen, but listeners, when we have our next podcast, I'm going to give you my honest thoughts on these final two episodes, which have a very big job. How do you wrap up this, you know, six season, who knows how many year journey we've been on successfully in a way that, you know, kind of rewards us for having gone on this journey. That's what I'll be talking about with my honest thoughts on the next pod. Excellent. And you can find him at Fit and Trim on Twitter, F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M. But more yeah. importantly, you can find him at the word double letters PHQ across all social medias. Mm -hmm. Or you can find the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at the word double the letter P, the word media. I'm Matt's audio blog at gmail.com for emails. Lilibitpod on the site formerly known as twitter bubba yeah we're gonna have a special guest too we are yeah i challenged someone to actually come on the podcast and he said yeah i'll i'll see your little challenge matt i'm I coming can't on. believe i can't believe king charles met your 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 call so this is not great. that king charles but he is a king Wait. he's bill cobb um, well, well, you know, I would love Bill to be on, but now that I set my sights on getting King Charles on the podcast, it's like, eh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Bill. You're out. Yeah. Fine. Well, that's wow. going to be great. He's going to be a wonderful guest to give us thoughts on this wonderful show. Uh, yes, he will. Uh, he gave great thoughts for episodes five or for the part one. So we can't wait to hear what he thought of part two. Mm -hmm. And until then, we'll see you next time on podcast a little bit, or we won't see you because we won't have the camera on. Aww.